Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. We are looking at the new mock drafts from the Athletics, Dame Rubler. Also, Mel Kuyper Jr. from ESPN dropping his mock draft as well, getting some reactions toward those. Also got some new segments in to introduce right before interviews with Arizona State running back Rashad White and Michigan safety Brad Hawkins. Let's get it. Two podcasts in one day, Mike. How does it feel? Have we ever done this before? I feel like we have. Have we done a double pod day? Double day season? I don't know if we have, actually. I bet we haven't. That's, that's, that's how, a lot you of podcasting. between the pods? I worked. It was a big work day. Finishing up the draft guy. The draft guy. The draft guy, which comes it. out January 31. January 31. New draft guide on pff.com. If you're an edge or elite subscriber, subscribe now. 25% off with promo code tailgate, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, promo code tailgate. If you're interested in an edge or elite subscription, that draft guide, courtesy of Mike Reiner, drops on Monday. Catch an early buzz. I didn't think we'd have a catch an early buzz segment in between the first spot we did this morning and this one, but in between those, Sean Payton. New Orleans Saints head coach, there for 16 years, obviously decorated, won Super Bowls. He is out. He's out as the head coach. He's officially retiring. but So he's retiring, right? But now there are reports that he's just taking a break. 58 years old, wants to prioritize his family, you know, move away from football for a little bit. What this sounds like to me, and we'll get into what the Saints should do as a head coach and what they should do with the quarterback and the cap space and all that. But what this tells me is he's going to come back to a different team. Some people are talking about the Cowboys, if Mike McCarthy is on his way out in Dallas, but he's going to come back to the NFL, probably to a good situation, and look to go back to the Super Bowl here soon. He sees what we were saying last offseason. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, back then it was 2-1 drafts, but what we were saying about the Saints, that it was a run, they were with the cap situation last year, over $100 million over. They did everything they could to run it back. And they kept their core intact in terms of the elite players on that roster and made certain that those guys are going to stick around, whether it's pushing some cap hits for them out into the future or whatever, to get underneath that cap, and they did it. And they ran it back, and they didn't have Drew Brees at the helm. And now Drew Brees kind of shelled himself in 2020, and obviously James Winston getting hurt set them back. But the writing is now on the wall that there's no like improving this roster. Mm -hmm. And Sam Monson had a tweet today saying they're not in cap hell, and they're, and they're not. They, they, they can get under the cap. It's not like they have to cut their best players to get underneath. Like they're not gonna, they don't have to cut Michael Thomas. They don't have to cut Alvin Kamara. They don't have to cut Marshawn Lattimore, whatever. Like they can maintain those blue chip guys. But the difference between this now and why Sean Payton's stepping away and those Saints teams in years past and why they could keep getting away with it is that true Brees ain't walking through that door. There's yeah. no quarterback walking through that door. It's Taysom Hill. It's Ian Book. And Sean Payton leaving them high and dry with that as your QB cover is just diabolical because he was talking them up all the time and all of a sudden realized, hey, those guys aren't the guys that's going to be getting it done, getting me to a Super Bowl. So that's the biggest difference here is, yeah, they can get under the cap, but they can't go out and get Deshaun Watson in a trade. They can't go out and get Aaron Rodgers in a trade. They can't go get Russell Wilson. Those guys are available, but they're in a cap situation such that they can't fit those contracts underneath it. So... I think he sees that, yeah, we have a good roster. Yeah, we can go 9-8. and eight. Yeah, we can go maybe sneak into the playoffs. But are you going to compete? Are you going to run the table with what they have a quarterback right now? 
I think it's why he's stepping away. Yeah, I think the lazy narrative that we'll see is that, oh, he's retiring because the Saints are in cap hell and they're going to have to rebuild and they're going to have to trade away Alvin Kamara and Ryan Ramchick and Michael Thomas. They have to do it. This thing's going to be completely reset. Mm -hmm. Arjun Menon, who's an analyst here at PFF, you can follow him on Twitter, Arjun Menon 100, tweeted out a really interesting graphic that shows, yes, they have the least amount of 2022 effective cap space, minus 66 million. But they also have almost 129 million of movable or restructural cap space, which is the most of any team in the NFL. That is the wizardry, right? That is the wizardry yeah. that everyone talks about with New Orleans Saints. When people consistently tweet out in free agency, the cap is fake, the cap is fake, how do they keep getting away with this memes? It's because the Saints front office does such a good job with this restructural cap space figure that they can always get back to zero, right? They can always get back. But you are 100% right. When you are minus 66 million, even with the 129 million in restructural space, you're not going to be in a you're not going to be a player for an Aaron Rodgers or a Watson or even like a Derek Carr or some of these other yeah. veteran quarterbacks. You're going to have to get younger and cheaper at that premium position. It's why in my least race, recent mock draft, I had them getting Desmond Ritter in the first round. I think they could maybe look to the second round for a quarterback. I was talking to Seth Galina, who is a Saints fan. Maybe they look at that route. But still, Sean Payton is not retiring because of the cap situation. In my opinion, he's stepping away from football probably for a lot of reasons we don't know, right? Stuff he's prioritizing in his own life. But also a factor has to be the quarterback situation, right? This is his yeah. first year away from Breeze in a long time, and he knows that Taysom Hill, Ian Book, Jameis Winston, a combination of those three is not going to make them playoff competitive with how good that roster is. It's an opportune time to step away from football, reset, and then potentially look for new opportunities, obviously, maybe in 2023 and beyond. Interesting timing, though, because, I mean, this is a while after, obviously, Saints seasons and, you know, three weeks post that win and then 15 minutes later finding out they still weren't going to the playoffs. So a little bit interesting timing. I do think obviously there's not been uh, a lot of moves to the head coaching sort of carousel. So they're not really behind the eight ball. I am curious to see where they go though because obviously Dennis Allen schemed up some wizardry on that side of the ball. He was fantastic on the defensive side of the ball. Our, our good friends uh, moves. Uh, I love Dennis Allen. <laughs> Dennis Allen is a glorified friend of the show. We need to get him on the podcast. But they've also like They've won the best decade and a half in the Super Bowl they won because Drew Brees, Sean Payton, that offense. Two of those you know, those guys aren't walking through that door anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see what this Saints team looks like when basically all we've known the Saints to be ain't there anymore. Let's spend some time on what you feel is the best next step for them, both from a head coaching candidate perspective and also you know, how do they approach the quarterback position and this offseason. Obviously, they're going to have to make some restructures to the contracts to get under the cap. Potentially, they do move on from a handful of guys. Like Michael Thomas is a name that comes to mind that maybe they do move on from with some of the relationships that they've had. One more comment on Peyton, then we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Did you see the NFL Network report that some of the Saints organization is just finding out this news as they are. Like apparently oh. he went like completely dark and did not communicate a lot of things to the New Orleans Saints and some people finding out just now. So I do think this was well, that's a what I said. It's probably with the timing being as it is, I'm not terribly surprised by that. Yeah. He obviously was a very personal and not like something that he had probably planned on right away doing after the season. Talking back and forth a little bit with Chris Collinsworth, he loves Eric Bienemy. Big Eric Bieniemy fan feels like that could be a fit in New Orleans. A lot of people, Seth Galina included, think Dennis Allen is the obvious candidate to yeah. move up into this head coaching opportunity. Between Bieniemy, Allen, or another, who do you feel like are some of the top names? Yeah, I don't think you're gonna lose Dennis Allen because like that's what won them games this year. But also, you offensive-minded head coaches are what 
has been winning a lot around the NFL. Obviously, yeah. whether it's Andy Reid, whether it's Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay in the NFC, that is the trend. And so I, I don't really have a good handle on right now. I do think it's going to come down, though, more to the scouting department because I think the next step for the Saints and last season was the pivotal offseason. They made that. That was when you either make the the sort of decision to rebuild or you make the decision to try to push this down the road because they had a lot of money coming up, whether it's guys like Ryan Ramchick, Marshawn Lattimore. They were able to re-sign those guys, basically take, like I said, keep all their core players intact so that they are kind of kicking the can, that they are going to be right up against it, not really able to add anything in the way of top-tier talent in free agents, whether it's at the quarterback position or other positions, still probably fit some you know, guys at maybe like a linebacker, maybe a guard or something to fill out that roster, but they're not going to fit big-name guys onto this roster. So it's going to come down to quarterback. And it would not surprise me if in this draft, if they like a guy, there's someone they have fallen in love with, I don't know, TBD, if they go make a move and trade up. Mm -hmm. Because obviously they're going to be right on the fringe. They're picking, what, 18? Is that where they're at? Um, that they aren't going to be in the mark for quarterback one if they sit there. And obviously the Saints, Mickey Loomis, M.O., he moves up. Yeah. If he likes a guy, if he identifies talent, he's going to move up. So I think there'd be major players in this quarterback class coming up. I think it makes a ton of sense that for them to be major players for the quarterback class. I don't know necessarily as this is the class to trade up for, right? Like, I don't know if this is the class to lock in on a guy, but if they do, like you said, it doesn't matter what we think. If Mickey Loomis likes a guy, he's going to go get him. That's what he's done with Marcus Davenport. He's done that with numerous players, even on day two and day three of the draft. Um, the other comment I was going to make is some, some New Orleans fans or bring up the name Joe Brady. Maybe not coming in as a head coach, but if they do promote Dennis Allen, the head coach, maybe you bring Joe Brady to New Orleans as the offense coordinator. Who knows? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I see nothing wrong with the way he did Carolina. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it was not. I think that's. I mean, obviously there. that's because the, the connection, right? Yeah. Brady, Joe Brady dominated at LSU, won LSU a championship. New Orleans, obviously, big. LSU fans, maybe you get Joe Brady, Dennis Allen, the pairing well, they, down there. I, I think, what's his name? McMichael, he's not going anywhere. So if, if Dennis Allen is promoted, so he's going to stay at OC. This podcast is brought to you by presenting sponsor, DraftKings. Four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and 280 in free bets if your team wins. Now get not a new customer. You can experience the conference championships with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets with the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win $250 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds on DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. On to mock draft season. We like to do this in this time of year where we look at some of the thought leaders in the space uh, to talk about our better minds in the space about mock drafts and what they're doing. First one I want to bring up, Dane Brugler, who's been on the show a handful of times. I think we're going to connect with him down at the Senior Bowl slash East-West Shrine, which we are leaving in two days. Leave for the East-West Shrine Bowl in two days. First and foremost, where you got to start, shocking waves here. Jacksonville Jaguars, number one overall. He goes, Iki Aquanu. I thought PFF would be the highest on Aquanu this entire draft season. He's a guy that's graded really well for us, but I didn't think he would ever be considered you know, a top 
offensive tackle prospect over Evan Neal, over Charles Cross even. And now this isn't Dane Brugler's rankings, obviously. This is just kind of how he sees the mock potentially playing out. But Aki Aquanu, number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I will say, so he's OT1 for Brandon Thorne, who, if you don't know who that is, he's a offensive line analyst. He has his own uh, newsletter called Trench Warfare that I subscribe to. It's very good. If you're into that sort of thing, highly recommend. There's not a better way to learn about offensive line play than from Brandon Thorne. He has Aquanu OT1. Because, I mean, Aquanu has rare traits. And obviously, Evan Neal does too. And that's why a lot of places have him OT1. But, like, Aquanu's more fluid athlete, in my opinion, than even Evan Neal. Evan Neal's obviously more explosive. Just this, like, rare size-explosiveness combination. But Aquanu, on the football field, it's it's indistinguishable. And if not, Aquanu is more physically imposing. Like, he is a dead ringer for his comp in the draft guide is why am i now blanking on his name in the comp of the draft Kalichi semele oh wow he was a former iowa state if you were listening to the trivia that one time he was the highest drafted player from iowa state top of the second round massive dude i remember back what was it 2015 whatever year it was when justin Forsett went for like six yards of carry for the ravens osemele and marshall yonda were the most dominant guard tandem in in the nfl of the past decade they, those guys were monsters that year because Assembly was just like 330 pounds and just threw guys. Just so many big-time blocks. Led the league that year. That's a Kwanu. That's what he can be now. Pass protection, TBD. But, and that's why I don't love this fit here. Like, at Jacksonville Jaguars, you need pass, bro. Like, if you if you are drafting a tackle, like, I'm probably going Charles Cross mm-hmm. over Evan Neal, over Ike Kwanu. I want the guy that's going to pass protect for Trevor Lawrence. But... Iquanu does have rare traits. I will say that. Osemele, too, did have some games with the Baltimore Ravens, at least early in his career, playing offensive tackle. tackle. Yes. But he played mostly guard, especially when he got to Oakland. And that one, that was when he was really dominant for those Oakland Raiders teams, yes. 2016, 2017, 2018. Former Iowa State offensive lineman, second round pick, 60th overall, six foot five, 330, bro. That guy was an absolute monster and an absolute road grader in the run game. I love that comp for Yuki Iquanu. Number two, he has Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, of Michigan, obviously going to the Detroit Lions. Kayvon Thibodeau at three going to the Texans. Nothing, A lot of chalk after this. I don't want to read you know, Dane Brugler's entire mock draft. Make sure you go subscribe to The Athletic. That's where Dane Brugler writes. It's a subscription service where you can read all of his content. It's a fantastic subscription. The Athletic does shit right there. Evan Neal going to the Giants. Not a lot of, again, like a lot of these chalky picks is where it goes. But what he did have high, what, or what were you going to say? I was going to say, let's move to the second round. I kind of wanted to touch on okay. one more pick one more. In, the, in the top 10. All right. David Ajabo. David Ajabo goes eight to the Atlanta Falcons. He's the guy that's going to be on this podcast, I think, on the Thursday episode. One, that guy's going to get in the content after he's done with the NFL because he is fucking electric on camera. He is a fun dude, super fun guy. He's down in San Diego training. I was talking to him a ton before we started recording about the food. dude. He was all He's all in on San Diego food. Surprising no one, by the way. But David Ajabo all the way up at eight. I, I am still of the opinion that eight might be rich for David Ajabo, as cool as he is, right? But, I mean, talking to him, too, his story is incredible. He did yeah. not play a lick of American football until 2017. Like, it's been barely four years. He only played, I think, 50-ish snaps in 2020, and then obviously played a ton of 2021 and broke out and was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But there is, and, like, he, you know, his— 26 snaps. 
26 snaps. His biggest rationale for like pursuing American football was that he was former high school teammates, I believe, with Jason Owe and saw what Jason Owe was able to do picking up the sport and playing well for Penn State. I think he sees how high Owe went, and obviously I think he can get into that tier because of the ceiling that Owe has. Yeah. But are you at all nervous of taking a Jabo in the top 10? I will just say before I get into that, the, the Jason Owe and David Java going to the same high school thing, like those always blow my mind. Coming from where I lived growing up in the middle of BFE, Illinois, like yeah. there was one guy in my like four or five years of like high school, and obviously we didn't even have a football program in my high school. There was one guy in the whole city of Champaign, Urbana, whole area that like was even a notable prospect. It was Mike Hellishore, former <laughs> Illinois run back. It went, went in the second round. And there's high schools out there that have multiple first round elite caliber athletes. It just like do, still like doesn't process to me how that is possible. But David Ajabo, I think I said this back when Brugler was mocking him like 25th. I'm like, he's going to go higher than 25th. Yeah. This guy is a NBA lottery type of prospect in that <laughs> you just don't, haven't seen him. Like yeah. these NBA lottery picks, you've seen him play one year of college basketball. Sometimes they average like 12 points a game. And Ojabo, like, he's probably averaging, like, 16 a game for mm -hmm. Michigan. Like, he's good. You're making but, the analogy. Yes, I'm making the basketball <laughs> analogy. You're like, it was good. He wasn't. He did play basketball. He wasn't That's the I was stud. Like, he wasn't, like, the, he wasn't the Aiden Hutchinson there dropping. He wasn't Kevin Durant his freshman year at Texas going for 30 a game. This was a guy who was, like, solid. He was, like, um, I'm Dude, really getting my what is going, <laughs> I'm going on really deep in this analogy right now. Um, it, it was, like, Johnny Flynn coming out of Syracuse. But – there's just a lot of traits to work with, and he's so raw for obvious reasons. Yes. Like I said, started playing football in 2017, but like not raw in the ways that guys are normally raw because he just he looks like he really hasn't played a ton of football, but he has moves. Like yeah. he's obviously been taught moves and put him into action very quickly, and that's very encouraging. So with the body type he has, with the athleticism he has, and with what he's already shown. Like, we're just scratching the surface. So that's why I said, like, someone's going to fall in love with him. Someone's going to be like, I can create or I can get this guy to be X, Y, Z somewhere down the line, especially when you're talking about, like, these top 10 teams that know it's a two- or three-year sort of investment because they're not going to be great next year. I would not be surprised if he does end up in the top 10, even if he's not going to be top 10 in the PFF draft. I mean, those slots with the Giants and the Jets, I feel like make a ton of sense. If you're going to get, you know, take him off the board at, that highly. And I think for Ojabo, too – he has the tools, right? The, the the prospect of this top 10 player. You just haven't seen him meet that yet, yeah. at least over an extended period of time. This year, he was phenomenal in the one year that obviously we got to see him play. He's a fun dude, though, man. Make sure you listen to that interview. I got one more pick before you get your fucking jump to the second round, okay? Give me some time. Well, we just never get to those, you know, like... We'll get to got, the second round, They're just bro. like so those teams that trade away the first round picks. They they take draft season off, but it's like, no, you still got second round. That's fair. That's fair. Brugler giving us the second round content. You need to come out with a second rounder one of these days. Yeah. Logan Hall. Defensive tackle for Houston, who I believe PFF is really high on compared to the consensus. He's a top 50 player on PFF's draft board. Six foot six, 275, Houston defensive tackle. Really explosive. Another guy that is going to come on a future episode here on Tailgate. He has him going 30th to the Bucks. I think that is the highest I've seen Logan Hall mocked. Now, he is pretty freaky along the defensive line for a guy that is his size. And Houston's kind of been a factory along the defensive line lately. Ed Oliver, Peyton Turner, Logan Hall. He said him and Peyton are big friends or really good friends. Logan, man, this going this high, I think this is paramount. It's paramount that he has a 
awesome senior bowl. He's going down the senior bowl. He goes in, dominates the one-on-ones, dominates down Mobile. People are going to talk a lot more about Logan Hall and move him up probably in the back of the first. Yeah, I remember so when I first started watching Turner last year, like in the spring, or it was probably in the fall, like late fall, because he had graded out well over the, the first like handful of games before he got hurt. I'm watching the tape, and I'm like, they have two of the same guy. <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm like, who is this other guy that looks – Goddamn identical to Peyton Turner. They were both like the same frame, doing the same moves, like attacking in the exact same way, except for Logan Hall is playing three technique and Peyton Turner is playing nine. Yeah. Like I was like, it was wild seeing them line up on the same side. Sad that Peyton Turner wasn't healthy because they could have done some things there for Houston last year back in 2020. But yeah, Logan Hall, I mean, the combination that translates to pass rushing prowess on the interior. And we said it like when Derek Brown was coming out, Derek Brown versus Javon Kinlaw, and obviously Javon Kinlaw has injuries, hasn't been healthy on the football field. But get off and length, or just like agility, like the twitchiness in general, paired with length along the interior is such a difficult combination for offensive linemen to guard. It's like that is how the, pl- the plus pass rushers, whether it's, you know, Fletcher Cox, whether it's, Chris Jones, it's a very easy combination to project. And if you don't have, well, get off one is like paramount. You got to have that. And then one pair of the length with it. And it's like that is the guys who are making consistently impacts on the interior have that combination or they just have elite get offs with, with the Javon Hargraves, the Aaron Donalds of the world. So Logan Hall possesses those two things as better than anyone else in the defensive tackle class. So, yeah, he's only 275 pounds. Going to have to get bigger to hold up on the interior, but I can see someone fall in love with him and draft him in the first round. Yeah, he said even though he's listed on Houston's website, six foot six, two sixty, he said he played you know nearly the entire season at 275 and is trying to maintain, if not maybe slightly bump up that way, now training at Exos. Moving to the second round, who are some of your favorite picks here that he has kind of lying up? I know inside the top 40, MyJ Sanders, the Cincinnati Edge, going to the Denver Broncos is one that stood out to me. I'm a big MyJ Sanders fan. I think he's comfortably a top 50 player for me. Getting him at the top of the second round, I think is a big value. I know we talked to Ton on Monday about Bernard Raymond the guy who's coming uh, the Central Michigan offensive tackle he has him going number 35 to the New York Jets he's going higher than that you think he's going higher than that that's fair that's fair who are some of your favorite picks in the second round from Brook? so I just wanted to go through the teams that didn't have first rounders and see who he has them taking here in the second round so kicking off with Chicago Bears and they're sitting at 39 I think they are in a perfect spot and he has them going wide receiver here George Pickens from Georgia but that has been kind of the sweet spot for wide receivers the past couple of years. Just that right at the top of the second round sort of pick. There's still been a ton of talent available, and I think that's going to be the case once again this year. You had it two years ago with T. Higgins, Michael Pittman. Last year, Elijah Moore, I think this year. So George Pickens, he has them taking now. His tape this year, obviously coming back from uh, the ACL. Or was it the Achilles? ACL? Achilles? It was ACL. was not great. He was not healthy, and it showed in his snap counts. Like They didn't even have him playing that much in that championship game, despite obviously kind of needing some wide receiver help there for Georgia. So not great tape this year, but you go back to his freshman season. It's like, there's a lot that like he has that physicality at the catch point. That's uncoachable. He's not that big, but he just knows how to separate, get that late separation, really good ball skills. So that would be a nice guy to pair with. I mean, he's kind of like Allen Robinson has skill set. They're going to lose probably Allen Robinson. He can, replace that in that Chicago Bears offense. So I, I do think the Bears, top of the second round, 
makes a lot of sense for them to be looking at a wide receiver. It also looks like in the second round, too, I think this is how it ultimately plays out. I don't think we've had more than one safety in our first round mock so far this year here at PFF. We look at some of the safeties that he is able to slot into the back end or middle of the back end of the second round. You got Jaquan Brisker of Penn State going to the Dallas Cowboys at 56. Louis Seen, uh, the safety from Georgia, going to the San Francisco 49ers at 57. I do think that there is going to be value in this set, in this safety class in this second round. Another pick, another like pick that I do like for um, in, in this second round is Kingsley and Agbury. Kingsley and Agbury, according to Trevor Sycamore, an analyst here at PFF, he's not a big fan, not a big fan of Kingsley and Agbury, but is one of the higher graded edge defenders that PFF's ever seen from a single season perspective this past year. A dominant pass rusher, a guy that is a little bit older, right? I think he will be at the senior bowl to show out in the one-on-ones. I think he has an opportunity, right, to yeah. go to the one-on-ones and dominate. He does that. He's a comfortably a top 50 player. If he does look old or maybe he can't win as much as maybe we've seen on tape at South Carolina at the in the one-on-ones there's opportunity to slip I think Inagbari he goes 46 to Minnesota Vikings in the second round that's just a name I don't want to fall out of the the second round conversation I really don't explain to me how he's going to look old at the senior bowl not look old but I guess you said that I don't know what I meant by (laughs) look old but I, I I do think that the knock on him is that he's an older player he's just like an older player that maybe yeah compared to compared to the rest of the edge class sure um yeah, and Agbury just he's not he's not the toolsiness of yeah. some of the others in the draft class. And it's like he's a senior and still not he's so wild with his pass rushing moves. Like he's not refined. Like you go watch Arnold Lebichetti, who is another riser this season, another guy on the edge. He has him going 61 here to Kansas State Chiefs. Another guy who's in the second round conversation. Arnold Lebichetti looks like he plays in the NFL in terms of like how he approaches blocks, how he uses his hands, all that stuff. Kingsley and Agbury just does not. like, And it's like you are that far along in your college career, and that's still an issue. So I think that's the biggest thing with him, why you know, Trevor Sigma might hate him as a prospect. I still think he's firmly a second-round type player at the worst. But next team here that I want to highlight that doesn't have a first-round pick, Seattle Seahawks. He has them going Daniel Fa'alele, the OT from Minnesota. And I see him as a second-rounder. I just think first-round picks are so valuable mm-hmm. that – a guy like Falale that you kind of know it's a two to three year minimum. Like you, you know, if you're throwing him out year one, you are going to have some issues more likely than not with him starting for you, especially at offensive tackle. Like I, I would rather go probably elsewhere at that position if I'm the Seahawks. But at the Seahawks draft plan, where they go is going to matter 1000% about Russell Wilson and where he goes. You know, yeah. if Russell Wilson's gone. If they trade them away, they're probably going to get back, you know, first round picks in return. I, throw out BPA, throw out or th- throw out need. It's going to be all just best player. Like you, you're just you just need to acquire talent at that point because you're going to be in a rough situation, and they already are as a roster. Another team that doesn't have a first round pick is the San Francisco 49ers. I kind of already hinted at where he had them slotted, but at 57, Lewis seen the uh, the safety from Georgia. Do you feel that's low for seeing or why? Do you, I thought he was more. Highly considered as this like top fifty guy. I've seen him in some first round mocks as well. Safeties is just value difference. You know, yeah. like you gotta be Kyle Hamilton. You gotta be like different in a way. Like you have to have something unique about you, whether it's four three speed, whether it's your six four, you gotta have something. And I'm not sure Scene does. I just think he's a very good all around safety. I don't think he's running four three five. You yeah. know, like I, I don't I don't see him as that type of guy, even though I think he's a very good prospect. And that's just where the NFL is at that position right now, even though I do think that with the rise and spread of the Fangio 
system, kind of that proliferating and that being the, the safety sort of usage of the day, coverage players at safety are getting more and more valuable. They are getting more on their plate in terms of coverage responsibility that I think we're going to see maybe a shift when it was just single high guy, when it was all the cover three, when it's single high guy, box guy, box guys responsibilities underneath zone. That's, you know, glorified linebacker, single high guy is a placeholder in a lot of those defenses. That's when you see a lot of those teams not cover these safeties, but when you're in too high, you can have damn near the same responsibility as an outside cornerback. And it's an easier throw for a, for a quarterback to attack the middle of the field than it is for them to attack the edge of the defense. So some of these defenses are putting their safeties in as much a coverage role as some of their cornerbacks they're playing out there. So I do think that we may see a shift in that trend. Could see, and when you say shift in that trend, shift in them going higher in the draft and also getting paid more? Just, just teams value it. Yeah, Basically yeah. just across the board, whether it's paid more, wanting to sign their own guys, you know, not letting guys like Adrian Amos walk to the Packers, like things like that. I think you're going to see that position because there are. Start to I turn. think that's a great take, actually, because I mean, there are teams, right? You think about the Gus Bradley defense in Las Vegas, where they obviously play a ton of single high. They like physically can't get into two high looks because they don't have. <laughs> there are the dudes. Yeah, yeah they like don't those, have the safeties to do it. Right? They're putting Dahl and Levitt out there. Those guys aren't versatile. Able. Yeah, it's like you have a guy who is not versatile who has to play the box. Mm -hmm. and at that point, you are. And you kind of are getting what you pay for that at that point. And if there's an area on defense where you need more versatility, it's the secondary, right? Like you don't need. 40 box players. You need guys that can all play deep and go back there. Last one. I think this is the last team that maybe doesn't have a first round pick. But it's the Indianapolis Colts. Jim Irsay find the quarterback of the future in Indy in the second round. Carson Strong, Nevada, picked at 47. I like that value for Indy. They might have to go into the quarterback market, right? Get someone to compete with Carson Wentz, even though they don't have that first round pick. Who are they against? Sorry. Carson Strong. Carson, Carson Strong. Strong. Okay, my bad. Sorry. I like it. I think Carson Strong, tape wise, is a firm second round value. Now, he has had a degenerative knee issue dating back to college. I personally am not like with his play style. Does he need that knee to be healthy? I don't know. Like, I, I don't think so. Like, he's not, does he doesn't win outside the pocket at all to begin with, but the man has probably the best pure arm talent of anyone in this draft class. And just in terms of like relief, if you, just all the things that go into what makes, you know, the umbrella term arm talent, where it's release quickness and aesthetics, uh, accuracy, arm strength. I think those are probably the three things, three, four, I don't know if you want to kick the release quickness and aesthetics into one umbrella also, but those things are what make of my opinion, arm talent, strong, tight, quick release, Beautiful spiral, massive arm. It dude threw 70 yards through the air a couple of years ago on tape. And then he's been very accurate with the football, especially outside the numbers. So just is a statue. And I think his pocket presence and sort of how he plays in tight quarters needs to be better at the NFL level because it's something he's going to have to do a lot more of. But yeah, if you're the Indianapolis Colts and you're kind of tied to Carson Wentz with that contract, and I guess not tied to it, but like with how much you gave for it and how little other options you have, now with no first-round pick, I would gladly take that because, like I said, you might be getting a value with Carson Strong because no one else can have them on the board. Thomas Dimitrov, former GM of the Atlanta Falcons, was on the Ari Mayrow show. And he, I think the reason Carson Strong is in this second-round value is because of the lack of mobility. He says on the show, I'm not taking a quarterback unless he can move. And now... That's Dimitrov's opinion, but I do think that's a lot of the opinion in the NFL right now. There are a lot of 
NFL front offices who are looking at the value of mobile quarterbacks, quarterbacks that are winning outside of structure with how they can manipulate the pocket that don't want the mobile quarterback. I guess it's not that black and white for me, and it's not, I don't, it's obviously not even that black and white for Dimitrov, but I do think that will be the determining factor in where strong is on these guys' boards, right? Front offices will say, are we willing to invest in a quarterback that can't move or can't move as well as we need him to versus other quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, or the reigning Super Bowl champion could not move. True. The quarterback. It's like, at the end of the day, talent still talks. How you play the quarterback position still talks. That is a, that's a bonus, and it's a big bonus, and it, and it makes up for a lot of other deficiencies. But if you are good enough at the whole playing quarterback from the pocket thing, it really you don't it's not a necess, it's not a necessity it just helps raise your floor and your ceiling to a degree but it's not a necessity i really um, like there is one more team though there is one more team that doesn't have first round pick but they also don't have a second round pick so it's the los angeles rams and, oh damn and yeah. they'll be playing this weekend so <laughs> i don't think they're too upset definitely not too upset i love going into the second round of those mocks able to talk about more players than maybe we normally get to before we get to the mel kuyper jr mock draft and those reactions western and southern want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast whether it's football success or financial savvy winning starts with asking us questions would you would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with alan Sunday night football how about a need to know for your financial future western southern is teaming up with pff's very own chris collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate game day feast to celebrate football's favorite sunday We'll cover your catering up to 2500 bucks. coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and western southern's instagram to for the answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Now, Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock draft, which you can get with an ESPN Plus subscription, would definitely support their content as well. Mel Kuyper Jr., Jordan Reed, Todd McShay, all creating good draft content in addition to the other stuff that you can get at ESPN Plus. I don't want to read through all the chalk again. A lot of chalkiness, offensive linemen going to the Giants, offensive lineman Charles Cross going to the Panthers, but he does have Jabo, a Jabo going high again. He has him going to the New York Jets, Giants at seven. That was one of the fits that maybe makes sense. Then the other piece of this is that I wanted to highlight was he has Arnold Ebiketti. I think this is the highest I've seen Arnold Ebiketti go. Arnold Ebiketti, the Penn State defensive end, goes 16 to the Philadelphia Ooh. Eagles. That is definitely the highest I've seen him go. Do you think he is going to be, he's another guy I think is going to the senior bowl, mm -hmm. comes up big with the senior bowl and becomes this top 20 player? I don't think so. Um, I really like him, but he just not, I just don't think he's going to test well. The, the comp and the draft guy for him, Charles Cross, or no, Jesus, Charles Harris. Whew. Almost messed up there. I mean, I did mess up. Charles Harris, obviously being the Missouri Edge defender, gets drafted by the Miami Dolphins, struggles to even see the field. Now, obviously, goes to Detroit last year and has a breakout season, played very well for them. But dude ran like a 4 8 3 at the combine, so over seven sec second three count, kiss death. Um, I, I just think Ebiketti could be in that range of limited athletically. Now, I'd be. Very happy if he doesn't. If he tests well, he can end up here. I, I just don't didn't see it on tape. I just my guess would be that he's not going to test in that range. The the one pick in this draft though that I cannot believe he skipped over because this one blew my mind, and it's his QB one off the board. Oh, it's Malik Willis. Yeah, at eleven. Eleven overall, Malik Willis going to the Washington Football Team. I, he's going to be the one guy that you could tell me. 
a vast range of landing spots, and I believe you. Like, if you told me that Washington's going to draft him, I'd be like, I could see that. If you tell me last until the third round, I'd be like, I could see that. You know, like, just because that's his tape. I mean, that is, I mean it's literally that range of outcomes yes. on his tape. There is ugly, ugly, minus 1.5 on PFF's grading yeah. scale, interceptions, bad turnover, he plays. But there's also, like, oh, my God, no other player in this class can do that type yeah. of tape on Malik Willis's tape. And it's like... And if you just called him a running back, like he probably still goes like third round. So I, I do think, with that in mind, he probably he will go higher than the third round. But he just really is a guy that the thing is, you're going to have to change your offense around him, and that's always kind of the thing that I think teams get hesitant by. And it was kind of the Lamar Jackson whole scenario and why he ends up in a good landing spot with Greg Roman, a, quarter, a coordinator who has coordinated four athletic quarterbacks before and has coordinated run games for that because that's going to be so important to Malik Willis. And it's like why Justin Fields goes to Chicago and it can look like shit out the gate because that offense was not built around his strengths. And so many offense coordinators are stubborn in the NFL. Coaches are prideful. They're not, they want their scheme. They want to win because of them. Yeah, They want to look good. And they want it to be because the, because of what they did. Now, not because of look at this guy who's running the football for me. Is all I think a lot of the sort of pride and hubris and why you see Malik Willis could very well, like I said, fall to the late second round, even if he does have some absurd talent and absurd ability. But I, I would be I'd be here for it if the Washington Football Team drafted him. That would be an interesting fit. I don't think it's going to happen. I'll just say that that that. I think that would be crazy. I think if he does sneak in the first round, it's going to be like Back late in. first, like Detroit at 28 or something like that. But, hey, we'll see. I mean, for those range of outcomes, right, he has uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. of ESPN has him going 11 to the Washington football team. We go back to the Dame Brugger mock draft. He has him going 43 to the Atlanta Falcons. Mm -hmm. That's wide, widespread for QB, right? You see some of that a lot of the time with other positions, right, where like a combine or something, they have information. But quarterback? Quarterbacks that range from 11 to 43 in mock drafts is very rare. Uh, can you it's, modify uh, That's Drew Locke. That's Drew Locke. That is Drew Locke. That, that is Drew Locke. Locke. I know you're big on not modifying unique. Can you modify rare? I think you can. Very yeah. rare. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sweet. Two players I wanted to bring up too, and I think we skipped over one, is two players where I think he was the lowest I've seen someone on in the first round. He had Derek Stingley Jr. of LSU falling to eight with the Atlanta Falcons. Now, still Crime. top 10 player. He's not like a meteoric fall. I don't think you can say that. But either way, a big fall. And then the other player I saw go down pretty hard is George Karloftis. He goes all the way down to 23 with the Arizona Cardinals. I think I've seen him pretty comfortably inside the top 10 for a lot of people, um, at least right now. I guess your reactions to those falls. Yeah, the, the Stingley one's the interesting one to me because talent-wise, um, I mean, he's top five talent, just purely I don't know, the essence of how the guy can the is capable of playing football that we've seen actually play football at times. But it's like, when did we really see that? Or how often have we seen that? Because he broke his foot or had foot surgery this past year, missed almost the entire season, plays one power five team in UCLA all year. Last year had a leg injury, missed, I believe five games for LSU last year. And down the stretch, um, I'd be like against Alabama has plays where he looks disinterested on tape. Like he, that, that wasn't unique to him on LSU's roster. That was kind of their MO the past two years, why, you know, Coach O is now not Coach O. He is just O um, out there. 
not coaching anywhere. No one just calls him O. <laughs> <laughs> He's just O now. He's not a coach. What's up, O? <laughs> um, it's because like LSU kind of didn't give a shit. Uh, like a lot of these guys were not playing their hardest in some of these games. Um, and Stingley, like guilty of it himself. But he is capable of elite, elite play at the cornerback position. So obviously we're going to be high on him here at PFF. We value that position. We call it the second most valuable position after quarterback. And I think he has skills to be a press man corner, but coaches don't love that. You know, like the effort is something that has dropped a lot of dudes in the NFL draft because teams don't love seeing that on tape. A couple more comments on the Mel Kuyper mock draft. The two Washington corners, Trent McDuffie, who is really high on PFF's draft board, he has going to the Buffalo Bills at 27. But then the other Washington cornerback, I don't think I've seen him consistently mocked in first rounds, but Kyler Gordon, who when I talked to McDuffie, he was like, Kyler Gordon's the most athletic player I've ever seen. Like, freak. Mm -hmm. He has him going number 31 to the Tennessee Titans, them double dipping at corner after taking Caleb Farley in the first round last year. Yeah, so these guys, I mean, Gordon and McDuffie, both on Bruce Feldman's Freaks list. We're back-to-back, -back, actually, on Feldman's Freaks list. And you watch them on tape, and you're like, yes. You know, like some of those guys in the Freaks list, you go flip on their tape, and you're like, okay, that guy ran track or something in high school. Like, he knows how to sprint. He knows how to kind of game the system. He's not, it's not translating to the football field. These guys, it 1,000% does. Um, I've been high on Gordon for a while. I mean, he's top 50 player on the PFF draft board. And would not surprise me again the way... I mean, Kevin King was not a thought of as a and obviously Kevin King doesn't end up going the first round, but he wasn't thought of as like a lockdown, whatever corner by any means ends up going as a top 40 pick just because he was an athletic freak at the combine with his testing. So would not surprise me. Kyler Gordon goes, blows up the combine, sneaks his way in the first round. Last thing here on the Mel Kuyper mock draft, Trey McBride, tight end for Colorado State. He goes all the way at pick 32 to the Green Bay Packers. If you, if the Green Bay Packers pick, I know they're not going to be picking at 32 anymore. You're well aware. Trey McBride, your reaction to if the Green Bay Packers took Trey McBride in the first round? <laughs> Why? The, the, like their downfall the past three years was they drafted two tight ends in the third round who did nothing. Jay Sternberger's cut. Jai Aguirre had a massive drop on third down. Don't draft tight ends early. Draft wide And they receivers. have Robert Tunyon. Robert Tunyon's whatever, but but you don't draft I mean, wide can, receivers. The tight end position is not if you're not yes. if you're not going to like like is Trey McBride, Jay Sternberger, Josiah Degar even combined a significant upgrade over Tunyon and Tunyon's whatever. Draft wide receivers is always draft wide receivers. The data whatever all says draft wide receivers. The payoff is far far greater than the tight end payoff. I just it's far far greater draft wide receivers. I, I will say though, so we just talked about Stingley. Talked about Trent McDuffie. Daniel Jeremiah has Stingley coming off the board CB three in his in his first mock. Oh wow! I didn't even see Daniel Jeremiah's first mock. Daniel Jeremiah has Ahmad Garner coming off the board as cornerback one to the Carolina Panthers. Which my God, the Carolina Panthers draft another cornerback in the top ten. They're gonna have C.J. Henderson, Ahmad Gardner, and J.C. Horn on that roster. That would be. I mean, that's like a, that's course. like how. Eric Eager would build a defense, you know? I guess. <laughs> and it's Matt F and Rule coaching them. I, I I do not foresee that happening with this tackle class. I'll just say that. But Trent McDuffie is a guy who the more I watched, and he hasn't played a lot of man coverage. Like, I think that's the, the biggest knock on him is he just hasn't done it. But he reminds me, it's going to be blasphemous. But he reminds me of Jair Alexander. And that Jair Alexander 
is just this elite athlete. He's short, but he's not small. And that's how I feel with watching Trent McDuffie play. He's 5'10", maybe a shade under, but like he boxes wide receivers out. He plays physical. Physical, he's man. He's great tackler. Physical. And he's just so explosive. And like I said, him and Gordon Freakslist members, like if you're, you can sell me on McDuffie over Derek Stingley, depending on your defense. I, I, can, I can see that. Like he has that kind of ability. He and Bucky Brooks, two friends of the show, both have their first like mock draft 1.0s that have come out. I think some of the bigger takeaways there now that we're on mock draft reaction season. Like you said, Derek Stanley coming off his cornerback three behind McDuffie and Ahmad Gardner. He also has Traylon Burks going high. Traylon Burks goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Man, can you imagine Burks and Pitts? Burks is like six yeah. foot three, two twenty five monster with Pitts as well. That would be quite the treat there. He also has Kyle Hamilton going over Kayvon Thibodeau, which I found interesting. Kyle Hamilton going three to the Houston Texans, and then Kayvon Thibodeau going four. Um, but yeah, mock draft season, man. A lot of things going around. All this, I think, will be more solidified or at least like more consistent after the combine, after the Senior Bowl. But like Charles Cross, who's like among a lot of people's boards, like a top 10 player goes all the way to 20 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Early signs would point to that being an absolute slam dunk for a Pittsburgh Steelers team that needs desperately mm-hmm. help along the offensive line. So this mock draft for the Steelers coming up big. Well, also Bucky said he's higher on Ryman than most. Or I mean, not Bucky, DJ. Higher on Bernard Ryman. Hasn't gone 17th to his Chargers. So Over that must, Charles Cross. And that must mean he really likes him. Me and DJ... On the same on the same train there. Plus, DJ is a San Diego guy. If he's gotten mocked to the Chargers, that's what I'm saying. He's the Chargers. Uh, what is what you call? It? He announced the radio. Chargers does the preseason. So, well, that's been the mock draft reaction season. A couple more segments, and then we'll get to the interviews with Rashad White and Brad Hawkins. Before we do, Manscaped, proud sponsor of the tailgate episode, and they have an updated read for you. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let the wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly. Do you remember? Do you Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? Did you? I'm asking. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. I'd like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me? Honestly, I think this is one of the holiday that I think this is one holiday that men and women can get behind. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your V-Day great. V-Day date. Say, wow, great set of balls you have there. Have you ever gotten that compliment before Manscaped? (laughs) Have you gotten it after? Not yet. (laughs) That's that's all. That's a no. Get 20%, <laughs> get 25, 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Join Cupid, who I'm sure is scaped up to the brim, and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. I've kind of made it. Go ahead. Is that a compliment? Like, you know, sometimes there's compliments that, like, you don't necessarily really want. Is, like, someone complimenting your balls? Is that, like, the? I feel like that's a compliment that you'd rather... I think it would just be off-putting, right? Like, I'm not ready. It's just a lot. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know. I've never been put in that position. <laughs> Calling it a set, too. I feel like it's just a set is not, I don't know. That's just not where I'm heading. Yeah. That's, not, that's not what I'm after. Uh, I think I have been using, though, pretty frequently the verb scaped. Like, are you scaped up? 
Mm. I don't know if they currently use that, but I think it's probably pretty big for them if they want to start. Uh, these next two segments to delete your tweet. And his mother isn't even that high on him. Let's start with his his mother one. That's when we look at a prospect we think that we're higher on, and somehow someone's higher. And this is kind of a stretch because there obviously are people that are really high on Ike Aquanu. But Dane Brugler putting Ike Aquanu number one overall. Like, again, like I thought Aquanu was going to be a guy that PFF was banging the table for because of how well he graded, but maybe isn't the same, you know, build darling as. Mm-hmm. I need Evan Evan Neal or Charles Cross, but Equanu, number one overall on Dame Brugler's board. Yeah, I like I said, I don't think his mother's even that high on him because <laughs> I, I just I don't I just don't see it from a fit standpoint with Jacksonville. Trade standpoint, he's it's just the pass protection. It is an issue. And it's like he may end up a guard in the NFL. And that's like drafting a guy number one overall. Like the the sort of the optics of it, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. You draft a Quanu, and, and, and you have to kick him inside the guard. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I think if you're going to, if, if you want to tackle badly, I think you go out and sign one. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you can't put the number one overall pick in that situation where he's going to be under the microscope, protecting the blind side of your core, of Trevor Lawrence week after week. Like, you better hit on that. That's why I think they're probably going to go defense where it's like, the sort of the pressure that would be on a number one overall pick on the offensive side of the football right after you draft Trevor Lawrence, I think would just be too much. Yeah, I don't think that people should forget that there are people that mock Aquanu as a guard. Now, his improvement in pass protection, his feet improvement, all that stuff has more comfortably put him as top offensive tackle among a lot of people's eyes. You mentioned Brandon Thorne, Dane Brugler, et cetera. But mm-hmm. still, that is a lot of pressure, especially when others are obviously like there's more overwhelming support for Evan Neal or hell, even Charles Cross as this top offensive tackle prospect. That is Rich, we'll see if it ultimately pans out. Let's get to delete. Wait, I got to do mine now. Oh, I got to okay. do my guy that, I've, like I said, I've been doing final the final evals on all these guys. And actually, we, we did just touch on them. The guy who I, after watching, was just like, I, I, I'm not sure you can be too high on this guy. And it's Trent McDuffie, like the cornerback the from Washington. Had a kind of low-key all-time season statistically out there for Washington. Now, we talked a ton about Ahmad Gardner and the statistical season that he put up over at Cincinnati, allowing, what, like 127 yards all year long? Trevor McDuffie allowed fewer. He only allowed 111 yards all season, 16 to 36 targets. He was lights out this year. The insane thing that I didn't realize was the run pass splits against Washington this year because how good that secondary was, him and Kyler Gordon, they only got, they were only in coverage 296 times Trent McDuffie was compared to 403 snaps in run defense. Teams were just running the ball down after down against Washington. Didn't even want to test these corners. I don't blame them. But 111 yards all season long, uh, I think McDuffie is that level top 10. Like, DJ has been going top 10. I think he's that caliber. I think I'm going to bang the table for one of my guys, Who? George Karloftis. I'm big on George Karloftis. I see Interview. him falling. No, I'm it's kidding. not just I'm interviews. Kidding. It's not just interviews. But it, it's not but just it's real. It, it's, it was real with him, though, in terms of like everything that's there's, where there's smoke, there's fire in terms of like how hard that guy works, mm-hmm. all the sort of preparation he puts in. 
and the little improvement that you've seen in yeah. his game over the three. I, I think he he is very comparable to Aiden Hutchinson, right? And Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are held in this tier over here. Yeah. And George Karloftis is falling into the 20s in some mocks. I just don't think the tier yeah. is that far. Like, I don't think it's that far between Hutchinson, Thibodeau, and obviously George Karloftis. I think he's that good. I think he's going to test in that same tier. Ooh, see, I don't. Not the, not the bend. Not the bend. That's why I've had comps to Justin Talk. I do think the explosiveness will show up, though. Oh, you're going to hate the comp in the draft. Guys. What'd you comp him to? <laughs> What'd you comp him to? Courtney Upshaw. Oh, my God. They're similar rushers. I mean, Is Courtney like, Upshaw the one that smokes cigs? No, that's Tim Williams. Okay, Alabama. never comp anyone to Tim Williams in George Karloff's tier in your Courtney life. Courtney Upshaw was this, like, they're, like, oddly large edge rushers. Yeah. Where it's, like, he's not tall. I think Karloff's is probably, what, 6'3"? Yeah. Upshaw was, like, 6'1 and a half, 6'2" but still massive throughout the frame where like it's just kind it's of spread massive too though. Yeah. It's not just like some squatty body. Exactly. Like it's just like the dude's thick. He looks like almost like a creative player on NCAA like 14, you know, like he's got that kind of frame <laughs> where it's just like once you put the weight up, everything just starts like blowing up on like all proportionally. Um, but he's a better prospect than, Carl- than Courtney Upshaw, obviously. But I just think he's got to – a unique body type that I just don't know how that's going to look once he gets to the NFL is why I don't put him in the same breath as those two because they're just better athletes in my opinion and also like you see I, I still think I'd take George Karloftis comfortably in the top 10 I feel that good I feel that yeah. good about Karloftis in the top 10 especially when compared to some of the other players here but hey that's where I'm at maybe we'll be on this segment in the future the delete your tweet segment yeah. the delete the tweet segment you can use or submit these if you'd like send us a tweet that was just an awful take an awful, awful take that rings true today. This one's submitted by friend of the show, a, a Gator. Are we introducing Gator officially? Gators. Yes. Explain we've, it. We've, <laughs> you, well, you just you went on your Liver King rant. You've been watching Liver King videos apparently all weekend long. Um, and he calls them primals, his fans. Tailgate fans. What's up, primals? Gators. The Gators. <laughs> That's I think rough. That it's, it, it's not great, but... What else do we have? Tails? No, not Taylors? tails. Not tails. I like Gators. Chomp, chomp. We can kind of get the gators. Florida steel. All right, Gators. This is from a fellow Gator, Tommy K underscore NFL draft. Username Bears blog, baby. A literal king. His final 2020 quarterback class rankings, this is from April 2020, was Joe Burrow 1, Tua Tungavailoa 2, Anthony Gordon 3. Yikes. The Washington State QB. Then Justin Herbert. Then Jordan Love, Joan Hurts, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason. The issue is obviously the Gordon over Herbert situation here. At least he got Gordon over Love correct, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That that's gonna, rough. That's going to – Pac Fred's going to hate me for that. But, uh, yeah, Gordon over Herbert. Gordon had fans coming out of Washington State. He had also a noodle, and he had four seconds through every single snap. But he was accurate. Uh, I thought he would at least catch on. But, sadly – it's not it's more to play quarterback. Your delete your tweet for this segment. Oh, mine's fantastic. Uh, it harkens back to. Oh, no. A time when I believed in a true freshman. And this was, I was watching. Oh, gosh. Oh, October, Can you, so vault, October, you did hashtag vault me. Did for hashtag it? vault me. October 2nd, 2018. I got a. Who was Clemson playing that day? So this was about the Clemson. This was 2018 when Clemson had Cleveland Furl, Dexter Lawrence. Christian Wilkins. Furl goes fourth overall. Wilkins went, what, 13th? I think Lawrence went 19th. I think those were the numbers on those guys. And I tweeted that Xavier Thomas will be the highest drafted player from this Clemson D-line. Xavier Thomas, 
I believe, came back to Clemson once again. That was in 2018. He is still at Clemson. So I still got a chance. But, man, he was so good as a true freshman. Five-star, coming out, 6'2", like 270, nasty bull rush. I'm like, this dude's a bull rushing as a freshman. What's he going to be when he's a senior, junior? You know, coming out? My God. John Ledger actually said, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I, I had people... You had people with you. With you had me. fellow Gators out there. Yeah, the Gators were on board. <laughs> so you go back to that 2018 season. I looked it up. They played Syracuse September 29th. He had an 81.0 PFF grade, which was, I think, the second highest or no third highest of his career thus far. <laughs> so that was he peaked early. He peaked early, which is fine. Maybe you could say the same, but uh, that one's not that bad. It's not nearly as bad as mine. Mine is legitimately horrendous. I wrote a whole article on the subject. Oh, no. This was on Justin Jefferson. Now, it's part of a tweet thread where I felt that Justin Jefferson was creative and he's patient, deceptive, all these things as a route runner coming out of the slot, played a ton of the slot. I comped him to a more athletic Cooper Cup, which I don't feel all that bad about. I still feel like, <laughs> I still feel that's pre- actually great. <laughs> I still feel pretty good about the more athletic Cooper Cup. I do think that's the type of player Justin Jefferson is, but I did write in an article, don't expect him to consistently win more valuable routes outside the numbers and don't draft him ahead of guys in this class that can, which was Pretty heinous. I just did not feel, based on the tape that he had, I think it was the one season in 2017 where he played predominantly outside receiver. A lot of his separation on the outside was with double moves and kind of created, you know, schemed open targets. And then in the slot, he goes to the slot and, like, obviously he just gets a ton of free releases and he's able to get through a lot yeah. of scheme stuff and worked with Joe Burrow. Since then, obviously, he's been fucking awesome in the NFL and that's been a terrible take. And he's done a lot to create separation on the outside. He has been a lot better on the outside in the NFL than I previously expected. Yeah, I think one of the bigger things that I've taken away from the Justin Jefferson situation um, is don't watch, don't care about previous tape. You know, don't watch sophomore tape. Like that was my biggest thing. It was like, oh, he he wasn't winning on the outside as a sophomore, and it's like, you can and he was a, a young player coming exactly. out exactly. It's like you can be a different player altogether from sophomore junior. One of the guys I, I went back and watched Sky Moore's sophomore tape just because I was like, oh, I want to see. You know, was he because. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge was obviously dominating for Western Michigan last year, and, and he still put up good numbers. Sky Moore did. But I wanted, went back and watched him. Like, I'm like, this is not the same. If I would have watched that tape and had that in my mind as kind of the anchoring effect of how I felt about Sky Moore, I probably wouldn't be as high on him as I am now. True. And it's like, you're a different dude. You're like, these guys are 19, 20 years old. They develop physically and mature at different paces, and, and, and a lot. You can change a lot in those one to two years. So to go back and watch a sophomore tape didn't make a lick of difference on who he was as a prospect. That had no bearing on what he would be in the NFL. And I think that was my biggest sort of regret on Justin Jefferson yeah. going back. And I think, again, like the only reason you're even going back and doing that exercise, right, or placing any value in that is because that was the one season that he played a ton on the outside, right? Yeah. Like since yes, then, yes, yes, yes. like after that, you saw his entire development in the slot. And like the route tree you run from the slot and the opportunities you get from the slot are so it's much different, different yeah. than what you get on the outside that it's hard to compare. Now, the other takeaway that And then, and then I do that, think that like the slot production sort of knock that we say a lot, I, I, I still think it's valid. That's not like where we went wrong the whole Justin Jefferson situation in my yeah. eyes like that like having a guy just sit over the middle of the field and get targets and put up numbers th- those aren't those are funny numbers like those aren't directly comparable to like what Jamar Chase was doing in that offense you know but all the skills that he showed from the slot mm-hmm. were evident mm-hmm. 
deceptive, creative, patient, ball skills, yeah, catch ball skills middle, catching traffic. Thing, it was yeah. all that. The one thing was can he create separation on the outside? Yeah. And like, is that could you have told you know told some of that story with his athleticism and how he approached the slot? Sure. But I think again, put too much too much value in that tape. We did see him on the outside where he was obviously significantly younger and missed on we had Jalen Rager over him. You know, that's freaking insane. Hey, Just, so the Eagles. We're not that we're not that dumb. J- <laughs> but Still, still would rather we have, have Indio, is Jalen Rager still made too? more of an impact than Jordan Love. Oh, I can't keep going back to that. But what'd you say? Didn't Andy Isabella also we have over just different class? Different class. I feel like I get the classes mixed up. But that's going to do it for this first portion of the episode. Let's go ahead and get to these interviews now. Arizona State running back Rashad White, and then Michigan safety Brad Hawkins. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Arizona State running back Rashad White. Man, I got to admit, you have some of the best tape to watch in all college football, man. You are a broken tackle machine. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. I uh, appreciate it, you. You've Thanks great. Uh, having uh, me on the show. Of course, man. I want to get into your offseason. I want to get into how you're preparing for the draft. But I have to focus a little bit on your background. You're a former JUCO running back, correct? And then you committed to Arizona State, had two years there, graded really, really well in 2020 and in 2021, 87-plus PFF grades in each of those years. Talk me through your road to Arizona State, right? Coming out of high school, going to junior college route, and then obviously getting to Arizona State. Um, uh, it's been a long journey. Yeah. <laughs> As we can see, but you know, wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, just coming out of high school, I was I was alright. Like I was saying, uh, kind of the same thing everybody seen at Arizona State was kind of how I was in high school. Um, but um, other than the Division One, did pull the trigger on me. So um, I actually ended up going Division Two because my high school coach just preached, um, you know, a degree is perfect. Uh, you know, any opportunity, things like that. And uh, that's just – so I was just humble at least to, you know, get a Division two offer and things like that. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't really a greedy guy growing up. But um, I had got to the Division two and I liked it a lot. And um, I had registered. I was, you know, taught a lot of lessons uh, in, in the fall of 2017. Uh, but I just kind of figured – I just kind of realized that I, it's just uh, – the Division Two wasn't where I seen myself, you know, envision myself. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, have a lot of older junior college guys, you know, at the Division Two that I was at. And um, they kind of understood the same, like, the same thing for me. They had the same, you know, vision and seeing something in me that I seen in myself. So, you know, uh, I just communicated and talked to them. And uh, they was just, you know, uh, filling me in on, on junior college because, like I said, my high school coach, um, he just, you know, was very – you know, uh, very, he was very determined on, you know, getting a degree, just, you know, taking any opportunity that you can. Uh, so when they filled me in on the junior college um, uh, route and, and how to go, uh, I end up uh, started reaching out. They end up start reaching out to their coaches and, and things like that. And I end up starting uh, reaching out and talk to their coaches and getting recruited from the California Jukos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, after that was kind of history, um, I got, you know, a couple coaches wanted me to come to their junior college in California. I ended up, you know, choosing Mount Sac, and, um, you know, I ended up just going there, and, you know, it was a difference. Uh, my whole life changed. My whole <laughs> life changed. And then That's... from there, my first season, it was all right. They, like, you know, kind of um, – how can I put this? They kind of just, you know, bring me in. Uh, they had other running backs there, and, uh, you know, they just made me work for everything. And, 
you know, I worked my way up. By the fifth game, I was starting my first year. And, um, and by my sophomore year, I just, I just, you know, kind of went to work and, and, and just, um, you know, put my head down and grinded it. And my sophomore year in junior college, it was, it was, you know, kind of history. And I was blessed and fortunate to get a good amount of offers. And I ended up cho- choosing, you know, to go to Arizona State. Uh, so, with, uh, you know, Coach Herman and all them. So did you fall in love with the West Coast then, right? You go to a West Coast junior college, but then coming out, you had some offers from Indiana, Tennessee, I believe. Um, Hawaii could have gone all the way out there. Uh, and then you ultimately make the decision to go to Arizona State. I guess what kept you on the West Coast? Uh, I mean, I mean, the weather lovely. I mean, you can never, you know, there's, there's no complaining about that. But, uh, no, what typically boiled down to my decision of college is just uh, what coaches and, and, and what system I felt like, you know, would put me in a great position. And uh, kind of that's how, how I want to – how I look at things and, and, and how I go about things. Uh, I'm a I'm a big uh, – I'm a big thinker, and, uh, like, when it comes to that, you know, because it's very important, you know, for a football player to be in the right system. You know, so that's what I believe in. So I feel like they was the right system for me. Um, everything they did, uh, the offensive coordinator had a thousand yard rushing backs um, every year since he's been the offensive coordinator in college. And so uh, it was, you know, it was just like I said, history. That's uh, that's awesome, man. And so I guess you mentioned him, but uh, talk to me about your relationship with Herm Edwards. I know we've had him on this podcast before. He's got a certain energy about him, right, that he can recruit anyone and, and, and um, make a fan out of anyone. But I guess talk about your relationship with Herm. Uh, yeah, you know, certain charisma, certain energy. Uh, uh, for real, my relationship with Coach Herm is great. Uh, he's just a great, you know, man, a great leader. Um, someone that you can follow and learn a lot of lessons from uh, in life in general, not even in just football. Um, uh, just the things, just the, the the obstacles and things that like he provides and and, and the, the knowledge and the understanding of football that, you know, he gives off and rubs off on you. Uh, it, it just goes to show a lot. And the thing about him is he, he really cares about guys and, 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 you know, kind of that's a big thing in his world. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business, but I mean, when it comes to college, you know, guys are still 18 and, and, and you know, kind of growing up. And uh, he's really genuine and he cares about guys. And, you know, he just wants to see guys be great. And, you know, he just wants guys to, you know, perform at their best. Uh, so uh, that's kind of how he is, man. He's a great leader, though. He could he could lead you into I don't know what. Like, he could, he could shoot. He could lead you into the Army. He could do anything. He could talk you into doing, some, doing anything. That's incredible, man. So let's get into your career at Arizona State. Obviously, in 2020, it was a COVID-impacted season. You only had, what, 42 carries in that season because it was so short. But you still showed a lot of the flashes that you showed ultimately in what was a full-time role at Arizona State in 2021. 1,000 yards rushing, over 400 yards receiving. Going from 2020 to 2021, did you know that you were going to kind of take this jump, right? Did you have that feeling that this was going to be the year where you really showed out? Um, I mean, in reality, I just, like I said, I, I, I was just grinding. Uh, I was just training. Uh, I just was, you know, adding things to my game and, and things like that. So, uh, in reality, I knew that I, what I was capable of and believed in myself. But at the same time, you know, it was a, we shared a backfield uh, at first, which, you know, I, I, I'm the type of guy like I, like I listen to my coaches. I, I do everything my coaches tell me to do. So, uh, you know, I believed in the message they was getting at. And, you know, I'm thankful that I did share the backfield 
in reality because, you know, it was just less, you know, it was just less, you know, burden that I had to carry early on. But I mean, like I said, I'm in reality, they just put me in great positions and, and that, that's just the type of guy I am. Uh, when opportunity comes, I'm just trying to, you know, make the best of that opportunity. And that's what I was trying to do, just do do whatever I can to help my team win. And, and you know, we needed, you know, the production that like I, like, that I gave. Six foot two, two ten. Your running style is very elusive, very efficient. I love what you did in the passing game. I guess speak to how important being a receiving back is, right? Going into the NFL, you know how much throwing the football matters in the NFL and how much running backs now have to do more than just carry the football. I guess how excited are you to continue to prioritize catching the ball out of the backfield and positively affecting the the passing game as you go on to the NFL? Um, I, honestly, it's very important to me. Uh, in reality, for me, it's just being every down back. Uh, yeah, I, I really pride myself on that. Um, I don't like to be labeled like scat back or this and that. So, like you know, you just some things you take, you know, and, and as everybody, you, you take as a chip and stuff like that. So, just at, being able to catch the ball, it, it, it all credits to. I mean, like I said, when I was younger, I always just threw the ball around. Uh, I had three older brothers, so we always played catch. Even if they didn't play catch, I always had a football in my my my, uh, my hand, and I'm laying down and just tossing it up in the bed. Um, and and then growing up, uh, the office that I ran in high school, um, um, and and then it, it used, you know it went from so on to so on. So I really pride myself on working on that. I always stay working on that. Um, I just wanted, like I said, be able to you know create mismatches all over the field, be able to uh, add a little more. Uh, to my game and, and and the catching the ball is just a you know a great thing that um, I'm, I'm blessed and, and grateful you're, to have. You're going to have such an awesome opportunity to show that skill set right in the passing game and as a runner at the Senior Bowl. I know you accepted an invite to go down to Mobile and play at the Senior Bowl. You have one-on-one opportunities against linebackers and slot corners. Obviously, the team drills and ultimately the game at the back end of the week. How excited are you for that opportunity? Right, I think running backs put in this position to go down there and show out as receivers and as runners. Uh, I'm just very blessed, uh, very grateful to have the opportunity. You know, not a lot of people uh, um, gets the opportunity. Um, I'm just ready. You know, it's kind of. I mean, like, like uh, I'll be saying to people, football for me is just kind of natural. Uh, so you know, just ready to go down there. And, and, and honestly, I always preach to myself, like in, in reality, you know, you got to be you, be yourself. You know, you can't change, and you, you know, you got to keep doing what got you here. So. Uh, I'm just glad, like, to get the opportunity. Glad to go down there and actually see scouts, things like that, and uh, you know, glad to go down there and touch a football and things like that. Because you know, uh, obviously, I ain't touched football since U of A. So, <laughs> you're also in Arizona training with Exos, preparing for Combine Pro Day, all that stuff. How has that process been so far? What's the diet looking like? Is there a certain weight you're trying to work up to? Uh, I guess talk to me about that experience. Um. Um. Actually, it's great right now. <laughs> Weather lovely. Uh, uh, really, it's just a certain plan that they got in mind, uh, um, um, and a certain like technique that you know has been successful for them. That has worked for a lot of guys that has came through. You know, this exos and exos in general, the other ones around around the world. And um, um, I really specifically like the plan that they be having for guys because you can see the improvement. And, and, and so, so it's really been lovely. Uh, you you meeting other guys that you know uh, trying to accomplish the same goals and do the same things as you. Uh, so you creating you know more just you know friendships and stuff like that and understanding at the same time while you competing. Um, 
And then, yeah, the diet, uh, they be strictly on that. They don't like you really eating outside. So they feed you, you know, they <laughs> feed you, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, snacks and shakes and all that. And, and they get you right. And, uh, am I working up to a certain weight, um, kind of? Uh, I want to be around 215-ish or so, mm-hmm. uh, 215-ish or so, maybe just a little bit above that. But um, I just kind of let it come naturally and things like that. And with the diet that they got me on right now, and and everything that they got me doing, uh, I, I like where I'm headed. Gotcha, man. Like Two, uh, so 215, kind of the goal. What, what weight did you play this past season at, around that 210, 205 range? Yeah, I played uh, this season at 210. Gotcha. Um, one more question for you, and I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time, Rashad. In this no, kind of in this pre-draft process, man, you're going to get picked and prodded in these interviews with teams. Dude, how much do you love football? You know, all these different things. Going into those interviews, I guess, how are you answering that question? How important is football to you? Well, it's very important. Uh, football uh, is my life. Uh, I've just been playing this since I was a kid. Uh, I mean, I always loved it, and uh, I still do love it to death. And you know, it, it just it just goes to show. I mean, like like you said, you watch the film and things like that, yeah, and you can just kind of tell it with certain guys and who loves it and things like that. And and that's when things like coaches really, you know, they gonna question. But for me, they they don't have uh, they don't ever have to question uh, because this is what I do. Uh, this is what I want to do. And, and like I always tell myself, I ain't a lot. I don't do I don't do football for the money. Uh, you know, the money, it just comes with it. But I do football because I love it, you know. And, and so, like, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, I've been playing football without without a check and things like that for the longest. So I always keep that same mentality. Like, I want to be great. Uh, I, I want my story to be better than what it is right now. Like, I, I, I want to be able to hold up a, a gold jacket. And then and then we, you know, do interviews talking about, wow, that's crazy. Like, this journey of, you know, he came from, you know, uh, Division two or junior college, and he, he, you know, it's a Hall of Famer. Uh, so that's the type of stuff that I look at it and want to do. Also want to inspire kids, like where I'm from, uh, guys JUCOs and, and guys Division two or something. You know, you feel like you, you're more than – than, than, than what you what, what's given off or what's been you know the opportunity that's been given to you, uh, you know that there's nothing wrong with going out and and and, and, and envisioning yourself and, and challenging yourself to to get more out of out, out of yourself. Phenomenal stuff, Rashad. Really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate you so much for having me. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Michigan safety Brad Hawkins. Brad, great to have you on the show. Nice to thank you for having me. Of course, man. You have been at Michigan for some time now. You've been there, I think, for five years total. You're from the New Jersey area, at least I believe. Talk to me about before Michigan, right? What, what, what was uh, what was your recruiting process like? I know you ultimately enrolled in Michigan, but what was the recruiting process like? What led you to Michigan? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, once Co- Coach Harbaugh got the job and, you know, Chris Parcher was there as well, mm-hmm. you know, a former Jersey guy and somebody that I was definitely familiar with. Um, you know, and, you know, just a lot of guys, you know, from Jersey went there, you know, we took our visits together and, you know, just being up there with those guys and, you know, with that, you know, uh, staff, it was just amazing. It just was so family oriented. Um, you know, the campus was amazing. Um, you know, the life outside of football was amazing. And of course the academics, um, that definitely played the, you know, big part in my decision. And, you know, I just fell in love with it, um, right away. Um, so you know, it was just, I feel like it was the best decision for me. And, you know, just looking back at it, you know, I'm glad I made that decision. And, you know, I came out with a degree and, you know, this past season was just awesome. And, you know, I just feel as though that was the best decision for me. 
You've been in Ar in Ann Arbor then for five plus I, years. I've recently made the trip this past year. Are you more of a skeeps guy or what, what's your go-to Ann Arbor college bar or what's the best food out there in Ann Arbor? Where, what were your normal go-to spots? Um, yeah, I will go to uh pizza house a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to skeeps a couple of times. Uh, the main, the main lounge I would go to was study lounge. Yeah. Um, but you know, as I got older, as I got older, you know, I kind of, you know, they didn't really go out as much. Um, kind of more of like a chill laid back type of guy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just, you know, stay in the house, watch some football, watch some movies and things like that. So, you know, I went out for a good portion of my freshman and sophomore year, but you know, after that, I kind of, you know, chilled it out and just, you know, laid back a little. How would you say, having been at Michigan for now five years, what would you say has changed the most about your game in that time? Or where would you say you've improved the most, you know, year over year there at Michigan? Um, yeah, you know, just learned a lot of football. You know, um, I had different, you know, DB coaches, um, you know, all my years that I was there. So I was one of those type of guys that, you know, had to learn different schemes, had to learn different techniques and things like that. Um, you know, and then, you know, I got my position changed. You know, I was a wide receiver. Um, coming into the University of Michigan, you know, my freshman year, I played a little bit of Viper, um, like kind of linebacker-ish. And then I got moved to, you know, safety my sophomore year. Um, and I, I started to get in rhythm, started to play a little bit. And, you know, it's been awesome. And, you know, this past year, you know, getting um, Mike McDonald and, you know, playing that scheme, um, you know, that type of Baltimore Ravens scheme, that NFL scheme. And I feel like it just – you know, made my game grow um, because I was just versatile, you know, played a little bit of linebacker, played a little bit of big nickel, um, played down in the box, played in the middle of the field. And, you know, I feel like, you know, just as a person, I grew so much and, you know, just learned, you know, so many different things, you know, from so many great coaches. And, you know, I'm just blessed to, you know, been in that position and, you know, just learn from those guys and, you know, get better at, you know, my craft. I was going to mention your versatility. You've played, you know, a whole host of positions in your time at Michigan, but this year specifically played a lot more deep safety, right? And you're listed at six foot one, two twenty, one of the bigger deep safeties, really, in all of college football. How much did you like playing that position a bit more, right? Being a little bit further back from the line of scrimmage and having that opportunity to be a bit more rangy and make plays. Um, yeah, I loved it. Um, you know, that that off season, um, you know, before you know, my fifth year, um, you know, worked on my range, worked on my speed, um, worked on my hips. So, you know, just being back there, you know, just being the quarterback of that defense and being the leader of the secondary, seeing everything, um, putting guys in position, communicating. Um, I feel like it just made me grow so much more. And, you know, just being the leader, you know, of that, you know, defense and of that secondary. And, you know, just playing back there deep, you know, I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, got the opportunity to read offenses and, you know, just look at the game a lot differently. And, you know, I definitely appreciate Coach Mike for that because, you know, I feel as though that it made me so much of a better player. It was obviously a storied year for the University of Michigan, a wildly successful one. You guys weren't even ranked on the AP Top, T AP top 25 poll. You end up going to the college football playoff. Walk me through just th this season, game by game. How exciting was this for you? I guess, obviously, ending your last season there at Michigan, being as successful as it was, I guess, walk me through what it was like preseason, then going into this year, then beating Ohio State. I, I had to have just been an insane year there. Um, yeah, so starting in January, uh, winter workouts. Um, you know, we, me, Aiden, uh, Josh, Kay, you know, all the leaders on the team and the captains, um, you know, we came together and, you know, we got this leadership group going on. 
um, you know, something that we didn't do, you know, all the years that I was there. Um, had a leadership group, met every week, um, you know, and the, the younger guys, you know, they bought in, you know, they listened to us. Um, when we wanted something done, you know, we let it be known. They did it. Um, it was no fussing. And, you know, everybody was just on the same page. And, you know, like I said, it started in January. You know, we attacked the winter workouts. And then we went into spring ball. We attacked spring ball. We had so much fun playing football, so much fun learning this, you know, new scheme that we was in defensively. And, you know, we just attacked it day in and day out, um, put in the extra work, um, was watching extra film, was watching some of the NFL guys and, you know, the way that they do things. And then, you know, we hit the ground rolling into, you know, summer, summer conditioning. Um, you know, everybody was getting in shape. You know, everybody attacked that as well. Went into camp, attacked it, you know, kind of everybody, you know, had their, their best, was competing, you know, every single day, you know, depth chart moving, everybody moving in different spots. So, you know, every single day you got to, you know, bring your A game, you got to compete and you got to go out there and you got to dominate every single day. And then, you know, going into the season, you know, we we knew as a unit that this was different. This Michigan team was different. You know, we all we all were saying it, you know, before, you know, the season even started, you know, we could be special this year. This Michigan team is very, very different. And, you know, game by game, you know, we start stacking days, we start getting better and we set our goals, you know, win the next game, you know, that was that was the first thing, win the next game, um, you know, beat Ohio State, win a Big Ten championship, win a national championship. So, you know, all of our goals were right in front of us. And, you know, we just continued to climb the ladder. Um, you know, we I feel like our turning point was when we lost to Michigan State. Um, you know, we came together as a unit that Monday. We had a big meeting, just players. Um, you know, we all dialed in. We all told, you know, every everybody that, Everything that we want is in front of us. And, you know, nobody flinched. Um, we continue to, you know, attack, attack, attack. We practice even harder. Um, and then, you know, we continue to grind out throughout the season. And then, you know, going into Ohio State, I feel as though we had our, our best preparation week that we had all year. Everybody was bought in. Everybody was just focused. Um, there was no distractions all year. And, you know, we went into that game so confident that we knew we were going to win that game. And we just competed on all levels, offense, defense, special teams. And, you know, after that game, um, you know, it was all, you know, we, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed the win and, you know, went into the Big Ten championship, dominated and, you know, just continued to grow as a unit and went to the playoffs. Things didn't go the way that we wanted it to go. But, but, you know, we still was happy with, you know, the season that we did and, you know, how we you know, came together all of fifth years and seniors and, you know, just dominated this season and, you know, put Michigan football back up top and, you know, beat it Ohio State and, you know, set the standard for all the guys that, you know, coming after us and all the guys, all the younger guys, now they know what the standard is. So, you know, when they get older and, you know, they're ready to lead and, you know, they're the captains of the team, they know how we ran it, they know how it's going to be ran and now that standard for Michigan is going to be forever set. Phenomenal stuff, dude. I want to ask about one specific game, Ohio State. You know, it was obviously marked on your guys' calendar. It was in Ann Arbor, snow coming down. I think you guys are 14-point dogs. No one guys, no one gave, no one gave you guys a chance, right? No one even felt that yeah. you guys were going to keep that thing close. You go in, heads down. Aiden Hutchinson has an absurd game. That defense, that running attack. Cade McNamara, everyone shows up. I need to know, what was the post-game celebration like? What was that experience like? And just how big of a win was that for the program? Man, starting with the win, it was just a huge, huge win, you know, 
for the for the Michigan whole program, for the fan base, and you know all the Michigan alum. You know we were attacking that win for over a decade, I would say, and you know we finally got it done. So it was just you know amazing to be a part of it. Um, you know amazing to just have that feeling of you know getting that monkey off of our back. So it it was just you know phenomenal and just like you know after the game, the post game, you know everybody rushed the field. Um, it took me 30 minutes to get off the field from sideline to sideline. So, you know, just that's the first time I've ever been in that, you know, type of environment when someone stormed the field and we won. And it just was an amazing feeling. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, you know, just, you know, just going through those next three days, you know, just knowing like, yo, like we really, we finally beat Ohio State. We finally set the standard for these guys. You know, we finally got it done for Coach Harbaugh. You know, we all went out there, you know, we played for each other and we played for our head coach because, like you said, you know, everybody doubted us going into the game. Nobody thought that we were going to win the game. Um, nobody thought Coach Harbaugh could get it done. And, you know, he's an amazing coach. You know, we all love him as a as a coach. We all love him as a person. And, you know, we got that win for him. And, you know, of course, we got it for ourselves. Now going into the offseason, I know you're in Arizona training with Exos. How, you know, what are your goals going into this offseason? What are you prioritizing right now? Is it diet? Is it, you know, obviously working for these drills? What are you looking forward to the most in this offseason? Um, yeah, of course, diet, you know, eating right. And then, you know, getting my 40 time. The way that I know that it's supposed to be in the way that I'm capable of running. You know, it's been an amazing, you know, experience. I've been here going on two weeks. Um, you know, I feel as though that I'm already getting faster and stronger. My body's already changing and it's just amazing and you know I'm just, um you know this off season I'm just really just grinding to get my body healthy again um you know and like I said just you know my 40 time and you know going out there you know getting more flexible getting my hips right and things like that so I also lost a you know a little bit of weight as well so I'm not as heavy as I used to be so but you know and if I feel great but I'm still as strong as I was so you know, it's just, you know, just getting that balance of, you know, the weight that I want to be and still having my strength. Uh, one more question for you, and then I'll let you go, Brad. I know you accepted an invite to go to the East-West Shrine Bowl in Las Vegas. I guess, how much are you looking forward to that opportunity? Um, Yeah, you know, I'm just, you know, so excited for that. Um, You know, I leave in a week and a half. I'm just excited to get out there and, you know, show people what I got. You know, show people that I'm versatile, that I can cover um, tight ends, I can even cover receivers, I can play in the post, and I can also play in a box as a linebacker, you know, and be physical. So I'm just, you know, ready to, you know, just, you know, show people and, you know, show the scouts that, you know, I'm keeping as well. So in my communication and, you know, things like that, and just, you know, how intelligent I am of, you know, just learning defenses fast, um, you know, being in the right spots and things like that. So, you know, that's definitely a great opportunity for me. And, you know, I'm so excited to, you know, get ready to, you know, play in that East-West Shrine game. Brad, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you jumping on the show, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. What a phenomenal episode. I love the mock draft reaction episodes. It's fun to talk, you know, how different people view the class. We're going to have a lot of opportunities down at the East-West Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, to talk more with these guys in person about these takes. I think that's where we learn a lot about how the league views players. I mean, go back to last time you and I were at Senior Bowl together, 
was 2020, you know, pre-pandemic, because obviously that was in January and February, pre-pandemic, pre-March of 2020 when things kind of all shifted. But man, we're back at it. This is where we're going to learn a lot. I'm excited for that opportunity. Um, until next time, guys, we're going to record tomorrow for the Thursday episode. But Austin, Ga oh, see you later, Gators. Later, Gators? Not bad. Later, Gators. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, tailgate.